listening to the Retail Perch with Shaker Raman and Gary Hawkins. We're going to discuss industry challenges and opportunities in grocery retail, AI, current and upcoming trends, and so much more. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Retail Perch here, episode number 42. My God, it's almost been a year, Gary, since we started this thing. <laughs> it's gone fast. You know, the one only thing that I can tell you that hasn't changed is our backgrounds. We kind of kept it the same, but life has changed in the last one year. And uh, who knows, maybe we need an upgrade on our, back, upgrade on our background. But, uh, you know, folks, we talk about retail technologies. We talk about all kinds of people on the show, and we've been privileged to meet some amazingly sharp minds. And we have one more in today as our guest. And Gary, anything else before we get the show started? No, looking forward to a good discussion here. Yeah, and you know we have Sandra Duff here as a guest. Uh, she's from Jackman, and uh, they talk, they do customer engagement reinvention. And I'm so curious to find out what that means and how people use that service to reinvent themselves. And uh, I see that Sandra, you guys have a hundred reinventionists in your company. Uh, so I think it's a fascinating topic. People are always trying to figure out how to disrupt themselves and reinvent themselves. So I think we're going to have a great conversation here. But if you can take a few minutes and tell us a little bit about your background, where you come from, you know, what got you into doing what you're doing, and anything else you might want to add in. So welcome to the show, Sandra. Thank you so much. Great to be here. So I'll start with a little bit about me and then a little bit about Jackman. I'm a, a retail junkie at heart. I, I learned this early on in my career. I really enjoy fast paced environment. I love change. I love building things uh, quickly and then seeing them through to execution. And retail has really been um, a great way to do that. Both uh, I've been both client side, primarily in uh, apparel and grocery, and then um, agency side, helping retailers build their brands for over, gosh, almost 20 years. So it's certainly been a career that's always been fascinating for me and ever-changing. A bit about Jackman, you talked about leading a company of reinventionists and, and what does that entail and who are we and what do we do? Um, the best way to describe it is that it is a, a like a management consulting firm with real primary research and customer insights, married with a creative agency and a team that knows how to get it done. That perfect trifecta of being able to build a strategy based on real human insights and then bring it to life uh, in real time with our, our partners and clients is really what drives Jackman. We are not solely retail focused. We are, you know, consumer focused, and then we also do elect B2B reinventions as well. So we have some uh, great partners that we've worked with over the years that we continue to help them pivot and, uh, and really bring a new customer focus to life. Nice. That's, that's, that's really cool. I mean, obviously, you know, in this day and age with technology, understanding customers, you got to really have your ear to the ground to figure out what customers want and be able to pivot your business accordingly, right? So clearly exactly. data must be something that's very important to you, right? Um, yes, yes, it is. Um, we have a, a robust research team within our, our strategy practice and, and they conduct primary segmentation as well as qualitative research. And since COVID, we've been really keeping our pulse on what's going on with the consumer. We've been fielding quarterly primary research studies just to see what consumer sentiment is, not just in terms of tactical, you know, where spend is going, but also what are their underlying values and behaviors, attitudes, um, and how are they feeling with everything that's going on right now in their lives. Hmm. And what's going to be fascinating, it sounds like from your perspective, is uh, looking at those insights 
across different retail sectors and channels, right? Like what people are thinking in, in apparel versus grocery versus some of the other sectors you work in. You know, we're, we're in Canada, but we field a U.S. study and a Canadian study. And it's even interesting to see the difference across the two countries in North America. It's really fascinating to see that comparison and, uh, and where consumers are, are, where their minds are at. So do you see differences in retail verticals in terms of how uh, mindsets have shifted? What we see is our underlying values and attitudes are agnostic of vertical. So if somebody really cares about social responsibility, they're looking for a retailer that is part of their community and is, you know, uh, behaving as a good corporate citizen in that community. But what we are seeing are, you know, we do test and say, you know, where does, you know, where is spend going and where do they anticipate spend to go? And that's where we start to see a shift, especially in, you know, we've been seeing everything that everyone else has been seeing, you know, an explosion in home goods and a reduction in apparel spend. But what's interesting is also, you know, we did a special food study because we wanted to see what's happening with respect to grocery versus restaurant takeout versus meal kits, et cetera. Um, and so you do see some of those verticals change a little bit um, over time, especially since the beginning of COVID. Yeah, well, I'm curious. I'm wondering if uh, uh, if lowered spending, let's say in apparel, because people aren't going out, there's no need to buy new clothes. If that's being redirected to other retail sectors, where there's now increased spending in, let's say, food, and now choosing yeah. to buy organic with a more slightly pricier items because you have a little bit more budget available now to have more choice. Do you see stuff like that happening? Yeah, and what's interesting is, uh, like our latest study in May, we asked, you know, where they think that they're going to start spending more um, because we heard about this trend of revenge spending, and we wanted to see is it actually real? Is there this pent up desire to travel and now that's where I'm going to put my dollars or do I want to get dressed up again and now see an explosion in apparel. Um, what consumers told us they would do um, is that they would really hold their spending flat with the exception of food. And I, you know, what's difficult to uncover is, you know, are they still anticipating you know, their food spend, we've all seen their food spend increase over COVID, both due to just eating at home much more often, but also because of, you know, there is some inflation in the market right now. But that's where there's, you know, 22% of consumers said they're, they're, they're going to think about um, their grocery bill increasing over time. You focus a lot on uh, customer engagement. What, what are some of the commonalities you see across some of the different sectors in terms of best practices or how to improve or increase customer engagement uh, versus what are some of the key differences? Well, I think what's really interesting is that all retailers have had to do quite a bit of catch up in terms of how to engage and think about the customer experience. It, it has always been a little bit of a siloed business with in-store and, um, and e-com being separate businesses. Uh, so I think the past year, universally, all, all different uh, retail verticals have had to start to think through how to connect the dots for their customer and how to provide that seamless experience, which I think has benefited all of retail. I think um, grocery has certainly had a lot more of the heavy lifting to do over time because, you know, they certainly were laggard in the e-commerce side um, in many instances. And, you know, what was always, you know, having been at a grocer, the impossible dream was always, you know, we need to get more sales to e-commerce, but people want to touch and feel their groceries. Um, and so this year has been really pivotal for them. I think, you know, as we think about customer engagement, 
you know, when you think about an apparel vertical, to me, that that needs to shift a little bit more. What they need to measure in terms of in-store experience and what that looks like needs to be a little bit different, especially when you think also about in-stock position and when you're in-store and you have a captive audience, um, you know, and anyways, it's a, it's a little bit of a different experience now, and I don't think we're quite there. So I think apparel needs to really think through what that in-person physical retail needs to look like. Uh, so do you think there's going to be a, a certain categories uh, in the retail vertical or even within the grocery vertical that, that will suffer in the longer term where you, you see the downturn is going to remain or the new normal is going to sustain? You, you think that's... Yeah, I think that the, the new normal will sustain. I think that, you know, people have really become accustomed to what's here. The biggest change happened in 2020 and consumers are stabilizing in terms of their attitudes and their expectations. They've now realized that this is the way it's going to be for the next foreseeable near term. And, and they've really stabilized in terms of their adaptation. And so we don't see, you know, any big market shifts moving forward, certainly not the big swings that we saw previously. I actually think there will be a reinforcement or a retrenchment of their own personal values. So if you're a customer segment that really enjoys, uh, for instance, you know, being part of the community, as I mentioned, or, you know, being very interested in, in organic or sustainability, et cetera, you've really retrenched those values mm-hmm. um, versus somebody who's much more price sensitive that also has been reinforced during this time. So I think that, you know, the survey said like, you know, people have adjusted they feel like they've stabilized and they're feeling like, you know, they're, they're kind of well-armed to deal with what's ahead. So I don't think that we'll see those big pivots necessarily in terms of how they behave. Thinking about customer engagement again, you know, one of the trends uh, that, that I think we're seeing out there is a blending of sort of the digital world and the physical world of shopping. You know, certainly everyone today using their smartphones while they're in the store, browsing online, ordering products online, et cetera. But, you know, watching what Amazon doing, I think is really interesting, is they bring Alexa into the store. So now you've got voice assistants available to you to help you understand how to pick a ripe avocado or whatever. You know, smart carts with a screen on it where you can access your Amazon account, your shopping list and so on. But what are you seeing around that space and, and anything new and different happening there? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think that there's a lot of trial and error, you know, a lot of testing going on in the market right now. You know, we do also see um, assistance with fulfillment in terms of footwear. We've seen where you can actually, you know, come into the store, try on a size, uh, try on, uh, you know, shoes, not fit quite right, but get the right size shipped to you or, or have a system where that inventory is readily available to the associate and somebody's running in behind the scenes um, to get that. So you're not leaving the associate. We've seen that type of thing be really effective. I think that some of the more mass retailers still do struggle with blending those two. We've seen Walmart do some interesting things in terms mm-hmm. of um, queuing and cash out, et cetera. But I think there, it's that learning uh, piece. And I think what remains undefined for me 
in a, in a real way is what is the role of that physical channel now? Because we've seen so much of this blend happening. What are consumers really looking for when they go to a physical channel? And what do they want that experience to me? Um, and it could look very different when you're in a more fulfillment category like grocery versus more of a want category, like you're putting together, you know, an outfit for a job interview, um, right. for instance. Yeah. yeah. Where do you, sorry, Yari, go ahead. Yeah, uh, no, I, I was just going to say to reinforce that, you know, in grocery, I, I think certainly a lot of the, the utility shopping, you know, re replenishment is already gone online. We're going to see more of it go online. Uh, I, I think people to be, you know, lured to a physical store, it's really got to focus around either education, help me learn something about the food or the different products that I'm interested in, or entertainment right? You know, help me understand what new things I can present or experience. Yeah. You know, that type thing. Yeah. I do feel there's also a role for some sort of, uh, it's not quite the same thing as going out to dinner, but to do home meal replacement in a really interesting way to get that footfall on a more regular basis. Mm -hmm. I think grocers have really not all of them have excelled at this. You know, Wegmans is great at this, but you know, what's on special this week? Like what, what flavors of, you know, soups or pizzas or sandwiches, like, you know, to kind of create that rotation. I think what's, what's really hard is groceries done itself a disservice. They, they went into HMR and it stayed the same. It's still rotisserie chicken. It's still wedges, you know, it's still the standard stuff, yeah. macaroni salad, you know, potato salad. How can we break that a little bit more and create a bit more of a menu to really engage and, and seek visits? Because I think people still want that. Now, that could, of course, be fulfilled by Uber Eats, uh, right. for sure. But I think that there's still a segment of the population that really wants to go in and just like see and, 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 uh, and taste yeah. and kind of have a more sensory experience as part of the food side. Yeah. Interesting. So you you also uh, talk about, you know, I think retailers uh, should be more focused about engaging or connecting with communities of cons consumers as opposed to direct messaging. That, that's a fascinating concept because obviously, you know, I, when I think of going to my local supermarket, I really don't think about connecting with other consumers of that supermarket, right? Yeah. It's all happenstance and incidental. Uh, there is no real community around the shoppers at the supermarket. And this is something that we've thought about internally as well. So, and, uh, so you're saying that, hey, that could be a way of driving what engagement, loyalty, what's, what, are you, what are your thoughts on yeah, think... messaging versus communicating with communities? Yeah. That's an well, interesting panel. Yeah, we think there's a real opportunity here because if you think about it, some of the great brands that we all know and love, like Lululemon, does a great job of generating this community of people who are engaged in a certain lifestyle. And in food, you know, there's some really great, you know, uh, grocery brands. Um, HEB is one of them where they have fans, they have real advocates that are not, you know, social media bot influencers, but that are in your local community. I think I saw one article about HEB in Texas when they had the big power outage that they were more effective than a government agency in terms of water distribution to local residents and just how they can be such an important part of that community. There's real power in that and there's real authenticity in that. And so is there a way for our brands to start thinking about how to harness that? You know, the way that Lululemon has done that is, is through the fitness ambassadors and really leveraging their local followings to be, become part of the Lululemon experience. 
Um, and so I think that there's a real opportunity there for grocery brands to think through what makes them irresistible to their communities. Um, and certainly I worked for one where the family and the family tradition was part of that. Um, and that was also through recipes and through sharing of some of that content, which becomes more sticky and magnetic than pushing out a promotion or pushing out a weekly flyer as a way to really extend the roots into local communities and use your teams that are on the ground in terms of store managers and regional managers to really solidify those relationships with key organizations within the community as well. You know, I, I ran across something really interesting that I think speaks to the same point, which is you know, I have one of these uh, doorbell cameras and there's an app associated with it. And there's a whole bunch of people in my community who have the same doorbell camera and they have, you know, there's almost like a social media around these people. Mm -hmm. so you get alerts in the local area about, hey, did I saw this, you know, wild cat or from yes. area. And it's amazing because, you know, you, you now have a device which you intended to look to see who's at your door. And you're able to now leverage that. And so there's an added value now to that product, not just as a doorbell camera, but beyond that, because you're not connected to people. And I think it makes perfect sense that, you know, me and 5,000 other people in my town go to the same supermarket to shop to, to leverage that and create that sense of community, right? I think it exactly. makes, yeah, yeah, I think it's the yeah. best. You know, and I think just thinking out loud, you know, where I think grocers could really expand on that idea is around health and wellness related communities. You know, a number of people have diabetes or high blood pressure or different health conditions or lifestyle interests, right? Vegan or whatever. You know, those are almost natural communities that, that grocery retailers could really pick up on. Yeah, I think that's a, a great a great nuance because if I think about, you know, Loblaw is Canada's largest grocer here. And uh, pre-COVID, they have these community centers in their Loblaws banner stores. And that's where the Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts meet. That's where Weight Watchers has its meetings, but just that's a physical space. How can you now turn that into a virtual environment where you are still gathering and, and sharing, you know, that community space, if you will? And also tapping into not necessarily your own branded community. How can you help those communities in the in the places that they're already interacting connect further? And so finding ways to do that, I think it's uncharted territory for sure. And it's really hard for grocers because they're used to a real regimented marketing spend around a promotion and flyer uh, yeah. that needs to drive the business. But I do think now is the kind of turning point for them to start to think about themselves as a as a community partner and as a, um, you know, a real good corporate citizen um, and start to think about, you know, is that an inflection point that they can push with their customers um, to really create a difference in customers' minds? Because now customers are all of a sudden in a year of change, not just during COVID, but a year of social change um, right. where we've seen a lot more diversity and inclusion issues come up. Um, that is much more top of mind than we've ever seen before. Right, right. No, I completely agree. I, I think retail in at large is at an inflection point. And I think more so supermarkets have come into focus, obviously, in the last 18 months, becoming the center of our lives like we never imagined before. Yes. So uh, I think it's an, it's an opportunity, really. And then, which brings me to the, really the next point, which is what kind of brands and businesses do you think are best positioned to 
a uh, who are ready to embrace the change that is that's going to happen. It's going to happen because consumers are changing, and you have to your business has to change to adapt to them. So, who do you think? What kind of brands and businesses do you think are in the best position to actually take advantage of that? You know, I'm going to go outside of the normal like verticals, etc., and I'm going to talk a little bit about the ethos of some of these brands. I think brands that have been nimble in their past will continue to be able to pivot in a more appropriate way to the future. So if you think about, you know, the Nikes of the world, if you think about, you know, some of the, um, even Starbucks, like just, you know, they're, they're contracting a little bit, but they're very nimble in terms of how they actually go to market and how they, they think. I think that that's really important. I think other organizations that have a commitment to being good corporate citizens are also ones that are going to be, you know, set up for the future. And I think about those as not necessarily, you know, the the big mammoth organizations, but certainly um, the HEBs, some of those, some of them maybe smaller regional players that are doing quite well. I think that they have a, a, a good advantage over the behemoths like Amazon and Walmart, because I think they've really spent the time to find a differentiating point of view. And that certainly will help them differentiate um, their products moving forward and, and their services. So I think that that's really, you know, those two things to me are really key in terms of, you know, being able to sustain and grow during the next little while. I think it, it will remain hard for some legacy businesses. There are some legacy businesses that are really, you know, we've seen department stores and the demise of department stores. You know, that question mark is still there. I think their case for change has been there for a long time, but a lot of them have survived. So, you know, we'll see, you know, what's to bear, but I think legacy businesses continue to have a hard go of it just because of their heavy infrastructure, heavy costs makes them less nimble in order to be able to move forward. Do you think it's also a um, executive will type of thing? I mean, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Yeah. I find really, a lot of these changes have to, at least in these big companies, they have to happen top down because these are corporate structures, relatively rigid. Yeah. You can have a bottom-up approach here. It has to be a top-down yeah. approach for it to be effective, right? Yeah, it's funny. We work with leadership teams all across North America, and for us, the one of the most you know when we meet with organizations and leaders, it's you know we really part of you know us deciding to work together is also on us to think through: Will this organization be set up for change because of the leadership team? And you know when we identify our core target, it is a future focused leader. It is somebody who's focused on where we're going, is um, okay with taking risks and, and trying new things and testing into them, and is okay with breaking the paradigms of the past. And so that's a big determinant in terms of, you know, the future success of organizations. You have some examples of some of the reinventions you guys have done that you think our listeners would be interested in hearing. I mean, uh, you yeah, for sure. Many, many, many interesting projects here. You know, when we talk about reinventions, we talk about capital R reinventions, so overhaul of the entire business uh, versus small R reinventions, which might be more of a product focus, et cetera. A couple of things that we've been most proud of, I would say, in uh, during this last little bit, and then I'll talk about some bigger ones that we've also worked on. We were certainly proud to be part of Flow Water's initial IPO. They're a um, alkaline-based water product here out of Canada, and they were just they just went public. Uh, I want to say it's less than a month ago. So super excited to be part of that leadership's team pivot to growth. 
Um, we've also been part of a brand, a small brand called Simply Protein, which has reinvented their uh, the protein bar category. So we've been we're helping them pivot, uh, position their business. A couple of the larger pieces of work that we've done, uh, we've been doing work with Greenleaf also in the food space, which is a plant-based pro- protein uh, company that owns both Light Life and Green Field Roast, sorry. And, uh, and both of those have been repositioned, repackaged, you know, remarketed, um, and proud to have our team uh, have done that work in partnership with the Greenleaf leadership. Greenleaf leadership team. And, uh, you know, some of our legacy retail case studies are Joanne's Fabrics and Crafts. We worked with them, I believe, back in 2018, uh, and they're still rolling out the the strategy that we worked on together. Uh, And then Staples, both north of the border and south of the border on both the consumer side and B2B side. That work is currently still in progress, and we're, we're actively engaged with helping them roll out their strategy. So when you approach these clients come to you and they're looking for help to reinvent, what are some of the basic thumb rules of, hey, what are the questions that you ask that you think are important to be asked to help you discover the answers? Sure. We answer three simple questions. They're very simple questions, but they're hard to unpack um, and, and land on. And we ask the entire leadership team to land on these. Who's the core customer that we're going to focus on? And that's going to be the person or the customer that we focus on primarily and not worry about everything and everybody else, but just really zero in on one, one customer. And that's that's got data behind it. And that's got share of wallet as well as attitudes and behaviors. Once we land on that customer, how are we going to win with them? What's our competitive advantage? What are we going to deliver to them that nobody else can deliver And then the third piece is really around how are we going to differentiate that experience? That's really where that experience comes to life. Once we've got those three, we can create for them that positioning of that North Star. And that really packages up for everybody uh, exactly what we're going to build. And then we, you know, we go and create from there, of course, what does that look like? Um, And that's the magic of the work that we do at Jackman. But those are the the three questions we answer in a very simple form. It it is hard. It is hard because, you know, our founder always says strategy is all about making choices. But once you do, it gets crystal clear. And not only does your leadership team fully align behind that, but your organization understands it and can start to move things in the right direction. Right. Hmm. So so let's see. Let's repeat these. So first is who? Who's the core customer? Right? Correct. Core customers. Do you have enough data behind it to make? to have a deep understanding who the core customer is. is, How are you going to win? What is it that they want understanding them? And how are you going to win with this specific core customer? And I think you're actually right. A lot of people try to spread themselves thin and try to win everybody. And then as as a result, you're diluting the experience for the few that who really care about your brand. And uh, I think I said the third thing uh, you said was differentiate the experience, right? Yeah. How are you going to come to life, right? How is that going to actually manifest? What's the spirit of it? And that's where a lot of the brand resonance really comes in, in terms of how you're going to show up as that brand. And this is something I, I read in a blog several months ago, which really hit me and I have it up on my board here. It says, you know, if you really want to know how, how good your product is, ask your users, if you discontinue it tomorrow, how will they feel? Yeah, yeah. Right? And that's a great question to ask because those are your real true fans. And those are the people that you need to really please and make sure you're listening to them to convert them. And they'll become your brand ambassadors. And they're the ones who grow your business. So. Yeah. And I think the other piece that's really 
that's really interesting to us and that, that I learned when I joined Jackman is, you know, you focus on that one customer. There's going to be a couple of customer segments that are really close in adjacency that share some of those common threads. You'll naturally appeal to them by focusing in on that one customer because there's some shared beliefs that sit underneath one another. And it's interesting when we do the work and we do the quantitative you know, studies you know, in order to unpack that, it really does bear truth um, because you, you start to all of a sudden become much more magnetic because your messaging is clear, what you're offering is clear, and all of a sudden it really starts to resonate. I, I get it. I think other people aspire to become the core customer that you address. Yes, yes, you agreed. Know, it's, it's, yeah. a, it's kind of like, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? So yeah, yeah fascinating. I'm, I'm loving this discussion. Gary, any questions there? Yeah. Along that same line, what, what are some of the key factors you look for or what are you seeing factors that sort of dictate success or failure amongst retailers or brands that go after some kind of reinvention strategy? But what, what dictates success or failure? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things that uh, really, if I, if I reflect back, you know, ring true. Um, I think we've talked a little bit about leadership. That's certainly one of them. The second piece is the culture of the organization. We've been in a couple of instances in legacy businesses that have had high CEO turnover. Those have been really difficult for us because the organization culturally has really suffered. And it's almost like there's been too much change and too much overhaul or the organization has really uh, seen so much attrition over time that it's really uh, a shell of its former self. Um, and so some, there are some instances where that either hasn't worked or we've learned that lesson in the past and not, not gone through with the work together. I think the other, other piece that I would say, you know, as a success factor is, is this, you know, good connection between leadership teams and the field. When we have a good tight connection, things become much easier to execute. The work that we do with leadership teams is not just about strategy, it's about bringing it to life. And so when we have a team that's sitting in a real disconnected spot, it's more of an ivory tower, or you know, these are the guys that have a different lens on what success looks like because operationally you have one set of metrics and corporately you have another. When there's too much of a disconnect there, we really find that hard to really move the business forward. Um, and that's that's really been a challenge for us in the past. And so sometimes there's a bit of, you know, a bit of work operationally to do to really make sure that that's, that's being shored up in the near term. Yeah. Hmm. Well, Sandra, this is a fascinating conversation. I mean, you know, we bring in a lot of people on the retail perch who are either entrepreneurs in the industry and the front lines doing stuff. We talked to a number of retailers. We had a guest last week on the show from Microsoft. And I think what I find fascinating about these conversations with people who are looking, and you've been in the industry, but now you're kind of outside looking yeah. in, helping transform it. I think it's the, the, you're much more objective in your view sometimes, right? Because you kind of see what's happening and people who are vested and in a business uh, are more uh, emotionally connected to pursuing a certain path because that's how it's worked. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love this because I think you hit on, I mean, those last three points that you made really summed up the entire thing about how do you think about your business? How do you if you want to change something, how do you change it? What's, what's the motivation to change? It should always be customer centric, right? And, and, and Gary and I are big believers in the fact that, you know, you, customer centricity has to be the central focus of a business. The minute you stop being relevant to a customer and focusing on other things, 
you start losing people because it's it's a people business ultimately, right? And and I'm sure that's come comes up time and again in your conversation. Yeah. But the nice thing about being an outsider or consultant is that you're not mired by the intricacies of the organization and that you are able to look at things in a very different plane than those that are, you know, in it. Um, and so it is a nice feeling to be able to kind of go in a bit more objectively uh, to your point and just look at things and, 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 you know, look at the data a little differently and, and pursue some what ifs. And I think that that's, you know, it, it's always nice because we don't need to be the experts in a vertical or in a business. All we need to bring is our brain power and the expertise on that vertical sits within that, that leadership team. So it's a great marriage. And, you know, of course, you know, the retailers are listening out there. We are, we understand this is a, not an easy business. Sometimes you guys, you guys are putting their hearts out and they're, uh, they're working, you know, and, and for what they accomplished in the last 18 months to make sure the supply chains and people are getting what they needed to work deeply appreciative of this industry, but I think it always helps to have uh, people like you who are able to offer that perspective, right, and a sounding board and kind of help transform. So, yeah, it's been fantastic. I think you guys, the work you're doing is amazing. And how does somebody reach you, Sandra? Sure, you can reach me um, on LinkedIn. I'm uh, my uh, profile is Sandra Masore Duff at Jackman Reinvents, but you can also reach me directly if you want to send me, drop me a line. Sandra.duff at jackmanreinvents.com. Gary, any? No, this has been great. Thank you for joining us today. I appreciate it. A great it. discussion. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, me too. And by the way, if you send us your address, Stephanie will make sure you get Ah, I'd love one. Yes. <laughs> Elastic momento. So, yeah. And, and our condition is if we ever invite you back on the show, you got to show up with a mug. Otherwise, 100% I would. Yeah. Ticket back in here. So listen, Sam, thank you so much again for your time. It's been great talking to you. And I'm sure listeners, you guys had a great time listening to Sandra and uh, as always, you know, these episodes have been fantastic and we've enjoyed it. Uh, we just get on here and chat, me and Gary and cut up. And somebody was asking us, which was your favorite episode? Uh, I'd have to say every single one because, you know, we just have some amazing guests here and people like Sandra just light up the show. So Gary, any closing words before we? Uh, no, uh, again, great conversation. Thanks for being with us today. And we'll look forward to talking uh, with everyone soon. Absolutely. Thank you again, Sandra, and all the best. Make sure to join us every Monday and connect with us at The Retail Perch on Instagram and Facebook. And if you have any questions, feel free to email us at theretailperch at birdseye.com. Until next time, this is Shaker. And this is Gary, signing off.